We are now in our third week, right, of our sermon series, going through the book of Ruth, a story of God's loving kindness. That's what we're calling it. Uh, and we've just scratched the surface of this story. We've only made it through uh, chapter one, which is only the setup of the story. The final three chapters are actually where all that action is. And so just to recap where we've been, in case you haven't been with us the past two weeks, uh, the book of Ruth, it takes place about 3,000 years ago, uh, before Jesus's time on earth, before King David, but after Moses. And so just to give you a little idea of where in the timeline this book is. And it begins with this tragedy. As this family moves from their hometown in Bethlehem in Israel, they move to another nation called Moab, away from family, away from anyone who knows God. Uh, they move because there's a famine and they want to survive, but it turns out that the dad and the two sons die, leaving only the mother, Naomi, alive with two daughters-in-law, and she's just burdened by heavy, heavy grief. And so she has these two Moabite daughters-in-law, and they set out to return to Bethlehem because she's heard that the Lord has visited Bethlehem, that the famine is over. While she's on the road, she looks at her daughters-in-law, and she changes her mind about them coming. She tries to send them back. She wants them to go back and get married to Moabite men, to go back to their family, go back to their gods. And one daughter-in-law listens to her, but the other one, Ruth, clings to her. And she says, I won't go. And she wants to go back to Bethlehem with Naomi. And she does this amazing thing where she gives up her own hope of remarrying, where she leaves behind her own mom and dad, her own people, and her own nation to stick by Naomi's side. Uh, and because Naomi needs her. Naomi doesn't even know that she needs her. She's too consumed with the grief of it all. But in fact, when she, uh, even when she returns to Bethlehem, she tells everybody, the Lord has brought me back empty. Right? Even though Ruth is with her, that's how she feels. So they arrive in Bethlehem, and Naomi is unrecognizable to her friends and family. Her grief over the past 10 years has changed her, even physically. It's changed her personality. It's changed her appearance. And the people in the town, they ask, can this actually be Naomi? She changes her name because of that. She tells people, call me Mara, which means bitter, because God has made me bitter. She believes God's hand is against her. And that's pretty much chapter one. It's filled with grief and struggle and the questions of where is God? Why did he let this happen? But the chapter actually ends on a hopeful note. In verse 22, the last verse, it says, So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law Ruth, the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Remember, they left when there was a famine. So they arrive in Bethlehem, which in Hebrew means house of bread, right? And the house of bread has been empty, and now it's right at the beginning of the barley harvest when they come back. And this short line, it stands out brightly after reading so much about the loss and emptiness of Naomi's life. So it's be the beginning of the barley harvest, uh, and while Naomi has been away, things have been planted, Right? Things have been tended to, they've been watered, and things have grown. The harvest time has come. And so we turn the page to chapter 2, uh, and we get to see what happens when grief 
meets grace as a new character is introduced in this story, and his name is Boaz. And so where last week we saw a picture of loyal love in Ruth as she stuck with Naomi, right? She sacrificed for her well-being. This week we get to see that in Boaz. And Boaz is going to give us a different picture of grace than Ruth gave us, a unique picture. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about generosity or we're going to talk about grace. And so there are two big things that Boaz teaches us about grace in this chapter. Actually, three that grace sees, right? Grace sees, grace pays attention. And grace gives more than what's required, number two. And grace results in shared joy. So we're going to unpack each one of those statements. Grace sees. Grace gives more than what's required. And grace results in shared joy. So let's get to this moment where grief meets grace. Chapter two, verse one says, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a prominent man of noble character from Elimelech's family. His name was Boaz. Elimelech now is the name of Naomi's late husband. And so the narrator opens this scene by introducing a relative. And that's not just, you know, a piece of information. We as readers, as we look at this new scene opening up, we're supposed to find a little bit of hope in this. Right? These two destitute widows, they arrive in Bethlehem, and now we're told that Naomi has a relative, and he's a prominent man, he's a wealthy man, that he has noble character, he's a good man, and his name is Boaz. So we should be asking ourselves, like, what's going to happen? Right? That's the question the narrator wants us to ask. So we're reaching a turning point in this story. Let's look at verse 2. Ruth, the Moabitess, asked Naomi, will you let me go into the fields and gather fallen grain behind someone with whom I find favor? Uh, I just imagine, just maybe I'm thinking more in modern day, but I just imagine that Naomi is still in bed, curtains drawn, and has barely moved since she got home. And Ruth kind of knocks on her door like, um, we need to eat, right? Can I go get us some food? She asked to go gather fallen grain behind the harvesters. And this was actually a common thing for poor people and immigrants. In fact, there was a provision commanded by God to Israel, and it shows up in a few places in the Old Testament. But when Israel was uh, first delivered from Egyptian slavery, and they were receiving their laws from God through Moses, one of those laws in the book of Leviticus, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land. Do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. I am the Lord your God. So God commanded that some of the harvest be left for the poor and for the immigrants and for the sojourners. Right? Just because you can take it all doesn't mean that you should take it all. In the end, it all belongs to God, and so he's simultaneously teaching his people about generosity, and he's providing for those who are in need at the same time. And so Ruth asks Naomi if she can go and take advantage of this provision and get the scraps of the harvest so that they can eat. And, and Naomi just says two words, go ahead, right? She has nothing to say about this besides go ahead, you have my permission, and so Ruth left, verse 3, and entered the field to gather grain behind the harvesters. 
She happened to be in the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was from Elimelech's family. And so unknowingly, Ruth stumbles into Boaz's field. And then Boaz arrives and we get to meet him and and he just seems like a cheerful and kind man right from the start. He greets his harvesters saying, the Lord be with you. And they say, the Lord bless you. And then he sees Ruth, right? He sees her. And in verse five, it says, Boaz asked his servant who was in charge of the harvesters, whose young woman is this? Right? Meaning whose daughter? Whose wife, what family does she belong to? Why is she here? And Boaz notices Ruth. It's a small town, right? Ruth was likely different in appearance than the other women there. She's from a different place. Uh, she's a Moabite, not an Israelite. So she stands out. Right? And it's, it's good to note here that there's no mention of her appearance at all in this book. She's not described as beautiful or otherwise. This is actually a good example in the Bible of of a man in the Bible seeing a woman first as a human being, right? That's not the case for all men in the Bible, by the way. So it really does stand out when we read this, especially in the Old Testament, right? This kindness that he's showing. And I've heard preachers try to force this as a love story, uh, as if he was like, wow, who's this, right? Like she's beautiful and, and he's taken by her as if he's taking notice of Ruth because of her beauty and he wants, uh, you know, to get together with her. But that's not in this story, right? That's not where Boaz begins. And it's far from the point of what's going on here. He asks his servants who this person is. And the servant answers, she is the young Moabite woman who returned with Naomi from the territory of Moab. She asked, will you let me gather fallen grain among the bundles behind the harvesters? She came and has been on her feet since early morning, except that she rested a little in the shelter. And so word has gotten out about Naomi's return. We know that from chapter one, right? We know the whole town came out when she came back to town uh, and they were excited about her being there. And so we have to wonder, maybe Boaz was even there when Naomi came back to town. But Boaz sees Ruth, and he sees her even in a different way than his servant sees her. See, his servant says she's the Moabite woman. And then Boaz goes up to her, and he calls her daughter. He says, listen, my daughter. He was older, right? He says, listen, my daughter. Don't go and gather grain in another field. And don't leave this one, but stay here close to my female servants. See which field they are harvesting and follow them. Haven't I ordered my young men not to touch you? When you're thirsty, go and drink from the jars the young men have filled. So he calls her daughter, which is significant. She's the Moabite to everyone else, right? And she's a foreigner. But Boaz, he uses a familial term to address her daughter. And he's looking out for her. He tells her, stay in this field. You're safe in my field. He tells her, follow my female servants. Use them as a guide. He offers her water that was usually reserved for the workers. And he tells her that he's ordered his men not to touch her. One commentary I read said that Boaz is hereby instituting the first anti-sexual harassment policy in the workplace recorded in the Bible. Right. Amen. 
That safety wasn't promised to a single woman, especially back then, who had no man for abusers to answer to. And Boaz takes that on. He takes on that role. They're going to answer to him if there's a problem. He sees her, right? He sees her need. He sees her vulnerability. Grace sees Right? To be gracious is to keep our eyes open to those around us who are in need. But he, just doesn't, he doesn't just see her vulnerability. Uh, he's heard about her story, and he sees her faith. He sees her loyal love. She asks him in verse 10, Why have I found favor with you so that you notice me, although I am a foreigner? Boaz answered her, everything you have done for your mother-in-law since your husband's death has been fully reported to me, how you left your father and mother and your native land and how you came to a people you didn't previously know. May the Lord reward you for what you have done and may you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz is impressed with Ruth's kindness toward Naomi with her sacrifice, and he has compassion on her. He has compassion for her, right? And then he prays for her. He asks that God would reward her, like the same God under whose wings she has come for refuge. He sees Ruth's faithfulness, and his prayer for her is that God would honor that and grant her the refuge that she's seeking under his wings. She's an isolated widow in a foreign land, right, with a mother-in-law that likely can't even get out of bed. She's been hungry. She's been anxious. She's probably emotionally drained. And now here she is getting to work, right? And Boaz wants to see her find rest under God's wings. That picture of rest under God's wings or, or being under God's wings and finding refuge That's a picture of protection and warmth that a mother bird provides for her chicks, right? Gathering them under her wings. God's wings bring safety. God's wings allow for stillness. They allow you to relax. They bring refreshment. God's wings are associated with his help and hope. Ruth responds in verse 13, My Lord... I have found favor with you, for you have comforted and encouraged your servant, although I'm not like one of your female servants. You can open that door for her. She might. Okay. Okay. (laughs) They're having a vaccination clinic in here after church, uh, the other organization. And so through his kind words and his provision, Boaz has encouraged and comforted Ruth. Right? She has found favor with him, and he has shown her kindness. And she's done nothing for him. Right? She's done nothing for Boaz, and yet Boaz shows her this kindness. He shows her this favor. And that's what grace is. My right? Grace is no strings attached. She's the recipient, and he's the giver. But in his generosity, in his grace, he's offering her these physical representations of God's wings, right? He's offering Ruth protection. He's offering Ruth refreshment. He's offering Ruth help and hope. And he sees her, 
right? Grace means we keep our eyes open for opportunities to be God's wings of refuge for others. And maybe, right, just maybe, and by that I mean absolutely, we should keep our eyes open and peeled for people who are not like us. For people who don't run in our circles, people who might be surprised that we would take a genuine interest in them. Right? Ruth says, you have shown me favor even though I'm not like one of your female servants. She's different. She's not from around there, right? And, and he's not responsible for her. But if he was responsible for her, then what he's doing might not even be categorized as grace or generosity, but simply just being a good boss. His only responsibility to her, according to the law, is to let her grab leftover gleanings from his field. She's not asking for more, but he's doing more, isn't he? Because grace isn't just giving what's required. Right? That's just decency. That's just keeping up, right? I'm not talking about doing the right thing. I'm talking about doing more than the right thing. I know grace is, grace is when you give something that you wouldn't be blamed for withholding. I'm going to say that again. Grace is when you give something that you wouldn't be blamed for withholding. Grace sees and grace gives more than what's required and by that, I mean it gives more than what's required of you and, and even more than what's needed by the other party, right? Grace is abundant generosity. Boaz has begun to picture that, and, and we're going to see in the next uh, verses that he goes even further than that. So some time has passed. It's, it's lunchtime in the workday, and this whole chapter really is just one day, by the way. And we're in verse 14. It says, at mealtime... Boaz told her, come over here and have some bread and dip it in the vinegar sauce. So she sat beside the harvesters and he offered her roasted grain. She ate and was satisfied and had some left over. To us, this seems like common decency, right? She's sitting there, so invite her to the table. But there are a few things that stand out particularly in this culture. The first is that Boaz is sharing a meal with his harvesters. And he's sharing a meal with his workers. He's not up in some comfortable place. He's down with everybody else sharing a meal with them. He eats with them. And then he calls Ruth to the table, who in this context is appropriately keeping her distance according to social norms in that time and place. He calls her up and he gives her bread. He tells her to dip it in the vinegar. And he offers her roasted grain and he serves her. So he gives her a meal. And she eats and she has some left over and he does more than what's required of him, right? He gives her more than she needs. She has some left over at the end of the meal. And the narrator is putting Boaz's character on display for us, just as Ruth's was on display in the last chapter. Right? Boaz here is showing the loving kindness of God as Ruth showed it in chapter one. But it has its own unique expression, right? And that's how it is for us. We don't all have the same resources, right? We don't all have the same standing even in society, but we can all be generous. We can all show grace. He goes above and beyond here, and, and there's even more 
After lunch, verse 15, when she got up to gather grain, Boaz ordered his young men, let her even gather grain among the, bundle, among the bundles and don't humiliate her. Pull out some stalks from the bundles for her and leave them for her to gather. Don't rebuke her. So he's telling his young men to let Ruth actually take from the good stuff, right? Not just the scraps that she came for, but to take what they have worked together and give it to her, right? Leave it along her path. He's giving her essentially like a grain shopping spree. And why is he doing that? Right? Because Boaz understands grace, Right? He understands that grace is giving more than what's required, and it's also giving more than what's needed. Like, have you ever asked for something before and you've gotten more than what you asked for? Right? I remember a little over a year ago, um, we were expecting our third baby, and we had this old van, which was a, it was a kindness to us when we received it, but it was old, it was rusty, the door was rusted, and pieces were falling off. I had to refill the brake fluid once a week. Uh, and at the same time, my mom was just a week away from dying. And I was on a Zoom call uh, with a bunch of my close friends, and we were all catching up. And I just shared how overwhelmed I felt. And I had uh, been lacking the time to fundraise as much as I normally would, so I wasn't even sure what income would look like for our family, so we couldn't commit to buying a car, and I was just emotionally exhausted. And as I shared that, my friend Robert, uh, he listened to me share, and he cried. And he called me a couple days later, and he said, our church wants to buy you a minivan. Right? And can you... Can you find one that you want and send it to me, right? Just send me the link. And don't think in terms of scarcity, he said. Choose the van that's going to bless your family, right? And I was in disbelief, right? I was experiencing one of the most difficult times, if not the dif most difficult time in my life. And this friend and his church, they didn't just pray for me, right? My friend, he saw, right? He saw the need, Right. And then they gave more than what I needed. Right. They bought our family a minivan and it was a nice one, too. They didn't owe that to me. I didn't even ask for it. They gave more than what was required. And I could have gotten by. Our family could have gotten by with a lesser year and a lesser model. But it was their joy to give more. They gave more than we needed. That is a picture of true generosity. That is a picture of grace. And it reminded our family of God's love for us, right? That he works even when we can't, that he uses people to show his grace. And what's the result of that? The result is joy, right? Not in a car, though physical needs being met, that, that brings relief for sure. The joy is in being seen by someone and loved by someone. The joy is in being seen by God and loved by God, right? A physical reminder of God's grace and his character, a physical representation of God's wings of refuge. And that's the kind of grace Ruth, and by extension Naomi, uh, is experiencing from Boaz, right? She came hungry, asking just to pick up scraps of a raw ingredient so that she could turn it into food. And here she is dining at the table like a family member. 
She's given the good sheaves of grain. She gathers them. She beats them out herself. It's labor intensive. And then she's sent home to Naomi with a bag of grain weighing between 30 and 50 pounds. It says she picked up the grain and she went into the town where her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She brought out what she had left over from her meal and gave it to her. She had food left over from her meal, remember? And Naomi gets to eat that food. And then she plops down this 40-pound bag of grain. And now remember, she left in the morning asking her mother-in-law, can I go look for some food? Maybe gather some grain behind someone who will have favor on me? And now it's night and she comes home and look what she brings. Grace sees and grace gives more than what's required and more than what's needed. And grace results in shared joy. Naomi is astounded. And she asked Ruth, where did you gather barley today and where did you work? May the Lord bless whoever noticed you. Ruth told her mother-in-law, whom she had worked with, and said, the, the name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. And Naomi responds, may the Lord bless him because he has not abandoned his kindness to the living or the dead. That word kindness, that Hebrew word has said that is kind of tracked with us through this story, this kindness that God, that characterizes God, right? Naomi prayed something very similar over Ruth and her other daughter-in-law when they wanted to go back to Bethlehem with her and she turned them away. She said, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown to the dead and to me. And now it's Boaz's kindness that she's experiencing See, Boaz was being kind to Ruth, but he was also being kind to Naomi. He had Naomi in mind. And we'll see that as the story progresses, that they sort of partner in blessing and restoring Naomi. And his kindness to the dead, that just means that this is his kindness towards the living is the kindness towards the dead who left the living behind. Right? God is working on Naomi. She thinks that he's against her, but the sun is starting to rise on her, and the sun is starting to rise on her grief. And she goes on to tell her, the man is a close relative. He's one of our family redeemers. A family redeemer is someone who was close enough in relation to redeem the family of a dead relative, to take on the property and take on the people that they left behind. Someone who could marry the widow, take care of her, preserve the family name of the deceased, because that was actually really important to their culture. It's not something that we think about as much now, but that was very, very important to them. Boaz is one of those people in Naomi's family. And like we read in the beginning of this chapter, he's a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. And so you can start to see the wheels turning in Naomi's head. And that's a big turn for her because all she could entertain in chapter one was a future of doom, right? For both her and Ruth. And now here in the next chapter, uh, well, in the next chapter after this, she's going to come up with a really wild plan. Uh, But there's an attitude shift in Naomi at this point. Like, could she be on her way to a renewed way of seeing God's hand in her life, right? Not just as against her, but for her. Grace can do that. Grace can cause that shift. Verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, He told me, stay with my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. 
That would be about six or seven weeks. So Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, Ruth, My daughter, it is good for you to work with his female servants so that nothing will happen to you in another field. Ruth stayed close to Boaz's female servants and gathered grain until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Now remember at the beginning of this chapter, Naomi's only words were, go ahead, right? Just two words, go ahead, when Ruth asked if she could go gather grain, and now she's up and about, right? She's interacting, She's participating in the plan, right? Her grief has met grace and a change is happening. But that doesn't mean she's going to forget her losses. It doesn't mean that even in the face, but it does mean that even in the face of loss, she can have hope, right? Doesn't take away the loss, but it adds hope, right? It means she might have lost a lot, but she hasn't lost everything, It means coming to the realization that her words, the Lord has brought me back empty, are not entirely true. This daughter-in-law that she has is a gift from God to Naomi. Look what she's done. Look at what God is bringing through her, through this one woman. This outsider is teaching Naomi about the loving kindness of her God. And in turn, she's experiencing it from Boaz. And when you look at his gentleness, when you look at Boaz's kindness and his willingness to give and just the way he sees Ruth, doesn't it just remind you of Jesus? The way Jesus treated women? Grace sees. Jesus often saw people like they'd never been seen before. God sees you right now. He sees all of you inside and out. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows not only the sinful things you've done, but also the kind things you've done. Maybe things that no one else even knows about, things that you haven't gotten recognition for. God sees it. He also sees our need, right? The need we all have to come under the shelter of his wings, the need for rest from weariness, whatever the cause relief from the burdens we carry, the need for stillness where we feel anxious and frantic, the need for warmth where we feel the cold of loneliness. In Matthew 11, Jesus calls out to us, saying, verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus gives soul rest to the soul tired. And he says in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the offer of Jesus. And his grace isn't exactly like Boaz's grace. It's bigger. It's broader. It's wider, right? Boaz, he's giving freely to someone who hasn't earned it, right? That's a picture of grace. But God doesn't only give to those who haven't earned it. His scope is wider, right? We read this in Romans 5, the Apostle Paul explaining to the Roman church, for while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for who? For the ungodly right? The ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. 
But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus hasn't offered only to take our daily burdens. He's offered to take our biggest burden of all, our sin. God's grace is not just for the undeserving, but it's for the ill-deserving, right? It reaches beyond innocent bystanders who need help into the category of people who have rejected him, and we all have at one point or another, right? The easiest doctrine of Christianity to prove is human depravity, right? All you have to do is just imagine that someone projects your thoughts onto a screen behind me here, and I think we'd all agree that we don't want that to happen. Right? We're not all as depraved as we could be, but can any one of us claim to be untainted by sin? Right? There's a reason why everyone left when Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. Because none of us meet that qualification except Jesus, and he didn't throw one. Right? Jesus is the only human who walked this earth untainted by sin, and he took our burden of sin to reconcile us to God. It's because of the work of Jesus that we can confidently say, God cares about my good. God's hand is for me, not against me. Right? Not only did he die for us, but he was raised for us. Not only has he promised forgiveness of sin, but he's given freely eternal life in the presence of God, true shelter and refuge under the wings of God. The Bible talks about how he'll wipe away tears when we see him face to face. Wipe away our tears. He invites us to put our faith in him today. He invites you to put your faith in him today. Grace is seeing. God sees you. Grace is giving more than what's required. Jesus had no obligation to die for us. Humanity chose its path apart from God, and we continue to do it every day, yet he pursues us, and he pursues us, and he pursues you and me. Right? Grace gives more than what's required, and it gives more than what's needed. Right? Jesus didn't just break us even. He gives grace upon grace, the Bible says. Not just enough, but abundance. Life and life abundantly, exceedingly abundantly, above all we could ask or think. God's very spirit dwelling in his people. God's very presence among us. Eternal life, joy. Right? Grace results in shared joy. We as the people of God, we as the church, we should be the most joyful people in the world, right? More joyful than a contestant on The Price is Right. And I know that's a dated reference, but I know looking at this crowd that a lot of you know what that is, right? Ruth fell to the floor when she experienced Boaz's kindness. How much more should we respond in awe and joy? And lastly, if grace sees... And you've been seen by God. Who are you seeing? Who are you paying attention to? If grace gives more than what's required and more than what's needed, and God has done that for you out of abundance, out of the abundance that he's given you, who is experiencing that generosity from you? Right? There's a converse side. There's another side to the grace coin, and it's called faith. 
right? Faith receives grace and it transforms it into action in the world. A faithful response to grace is gratitude that leads to more grace, right? Don't miss that what you have is valuable, right? Don't miss that you are valuable, Boaz and Ruth, they showed grace in very different ways with whatever it was that they had to show it with, right? Generosity requires that we take an accurate assessment of what we have to offer. And a lot of us, some of you, you're undervaluing yourselves. And some of, sometimes that happens because you are undervalued at some point in your life, right? Sometimes it comes from comparison, when we look at other people and we see all that they have to offer and we look at ourselves and it feels like we have nothing. Sometimes it comes from fear. Sometimes it comes from a scarcity mentality. I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough. But not only are you missing out on joy yourself, others are missing out on the joy that comes from generosity because you have something to offer. We all do. And I say this all the time, but maybe it's just as simple as your presence, your time, right? We don't have to overcomplicate it. You have practical grace to offer today. And may you offer it in the name of the Lord, like Boaz did, like Ruth did. Right? Because Jesus didn't just break us even with God. He gave us everything. Grace sees Grace gives more than what's required and more than what's needed, and grace results in shared joy.